gear shifts with Colston R. Edwards. Coming to you for an initial podcast. Thanks for joining. Hey, hey, it is Colston here, and you, my lucky listener, have tuned into the virgin launch of the podcast, Gear Shifts. Before I get into the meaning of gear shifts, I'd like to give a little bit of background information on myself. I mean, after all, who am I to talk to you about anything? I don't know you, you don't know me, but I'm sure hoping that some of my education, life experience, and really bad ideas and mistakes might help somebody else out who happens to be listening. I think it's quite fitting that I'm starting a podcast where my current recording is being done alone in my office slash workout room slash podcast studio. I think it's fitting since most of my teachers during grade school and middle school, when it came to report card time, often commented that I was doing very well academically, but that I, quote, talk all the time, end quote, or, quote, side conversations get in the way of others learning, end quote. Okay, I get it. Every progress report, every report card, I get it. I talk a lot. And then one time, I had an amazing teacher who, instead of faulting me for a very innate talent, talking, you follow me, decided she would play to my strengths. She allowed me to be in charge of stuff in the classroom. That had never happened before. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but me and the principal, like, we were tight in elementary school. And and not because I was some amazing kid who was this model student, but, well, because I, I got sent to her office a lot. And, and my special desk in the classroom, it kind of looks like the cubicles a lot of adults are working in nowadays, you know, with the partitions up in front of you, on the sides of you. You know, they, they used to use them in the schools for kids who screw up during test time, right? They're trying to cheat, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my regular desk since like third grade. And I mean, back in the day, this was a time when the school would send, send you home, right? Like, here, take this to your parents with a permission slip. For your parents to sign that gave the principal permission. Okay, your parents are giving the principal permission to paddle you with a wooden paddle. Like 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 wooden like a wooden paddle with holes in it on your butt during school in public. <laughs> and I remember one year I was like, I'm not taking that permission slip home. So I stuffed it in my backpack because I was too chicken to throw it away. And that slip, it it probably been in there about a week. And of course, my siblings, I got an older brother, a younger brother, younger sister, and and they'd already brought theirs home and they'd been signed and returned to the school. And and so my dad came looking for me, like, where's your permission slip? I'm like, oh, think quick, think quick. Like, oh, I I don't get them this year in school. That's that's last year, (laughs) he says. Let me see your backpack. Damn it. Yeah, I got to tell you, I have never seen anybody so excited to check that box like, yes, please, please help me beat the shit out of my kid while they're at school if they fuck up, right? Like, <laughs> big old smile on his face. Yes, give me that sign. Yes, please. Um, anytime. Like, you don't have to add comments, Dad. You could just you could just check the box. Anyway, 
So I grew up in Southern California in a town called San Bernardino, which has apparently a good side. At least that's what I've been told now as an adult. Like, yeah, that's the good side of San Bernardino. But um, as a kid, our side or the majority of San Bernardino at the time, you know, late 70s, early 80s, was pretty ghetto. Like we we would get so excited with if it rained really hard and the and the water gutters on the on the sides of the streets would fill up, right? Because then it blocked it and so you still had water in the street cuz we would go steal like a boogie board out of a neighbor's garage just so we could pretend we were on the beach. Yeah. Like my my next-door neighbor, she she had a um a record player. Uh, for those of you that are a little younger, it was long before CDs, DVDs, definitely before digital download of music. Anyhow, the record had this little, you know, holder that it came in and, and we had this Christmas one and it had all the lyrics to the Christmas songs that were on this record. And we would go like door to door (laughs) to all the neighbors, like we trying to make some money for a dollar. You can pick a song off of the back of this LP and we will sing it for you. And we had, (laughs) we had a neighbor. He, oh my gosh. He, he looked at it. He looked at us. He looked at it. He looked at us. He said, hold on. I'll be right back. So this man, he comes back, he gives $5 to me and $5 to her and says, please don't sing. <laughs> and close the door. <laughs> so yeah. So back in the day, that's, that's my favorite next door neighbor. Her name is Victoria. Her family was, was I'll say mostly Mexican, a Mexican dad, German mom. But anyway, they, they're mostly Mexican and they accepted me as one of their own, you know, accepted me like... Like this one time we were having breakfast because I spent a lot of time there and I got up from the table to grab, I don't know, a fork for my huevos rancheros. And her dad, who worked at the jail in Chino, asked, what are you doing, mija? I said, getting the silverware. And uh, around the table, everybody was either like quietly laughing or like holding their breath. So I, I knew, like I froze, knowing that I had done something seriously wrong, but I wasn't sure what it was. And so I looked at her dad and he looked at me and he stood up, he shoved the chair back with his foot and he says, why do you think we have tortillas on the table? I, that was like a trick question. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, that tortillas on the table and silverware in the drawer were, were related. <laughs> so very quickly crash course. Uh, once I learned how to eat eggs and sausage and bacon using only a tortilla, I was accepted. And that one time, um, I was, I was in charge of breakfast and I couldn't cook cause I was little and a kid and I wasn't allowed around fire in the stove. And so I went to get cereal. Right. And so I was like, got all little bowls out and I started pouring like Cheerios into a bowl and this live cockroach came crawling out. Yeah. We went back to eggs and tortillas. I learned how to, how to make eggs and, uh, and her, all the, all the females in her family made tortillas from scratch, man, how I missed that. So with all that acceptance at her house, I'm like, I thought I was Mexican because, you know, they call me Mija and, you know, Chola and Chicana. So I just thought, like, I'm Mexican. So so one day I'm on a bus ride home from our public school and I was telling a story, you know, just gathered around. We in the back of the bus where the bad kids sit, right? And so so we're in this group of, uh, you know, mi amigos. And I said, started to say something like, since I'm a Chicana and the whole bus got scarily, eerily quiet. And to my absolute 11-year-old horror, someone said to me, You're not Chicana. You are so white. Look at the freckles on your nose. And then I started to have a complex about freckles on my nose. (laughs) But, But at that moment, I felt like my whole identity had been a lie. 
Now, now, don't get me wrong. Since I was about seven years old, I knew I was adopted. I just thought maybe my, my biological family lived next door to my adoptive family. After all, they were Mexican, I was Mexican, and my adoptive family was white. <laughs> so besides growing up as a white Mexican in the ghetto of San Bernardino, California, somehow I managed to have like perfect attendance at school, and I actually enjoyed being there, and I enjoyed learning. Years later, as I look back, I realized, yes, there was some enjoyment there, but the bigger drive I realized was I enjoyed not being home more than I enjoyed school. And, and as we all know, kids are very, very resilient. So we learn, you know, we learn how to convince ourselves that we like spending time somewhere like school, even if we, we don't, but, but we convince ourselves because it's better than being in the place where we feel hurt. And somehow the more time I spent there at school, the better I got at it. So school and I were actually tight. And, and once I was done acting a fool and didn't have to go see the principal all the time, like school was great. <laughs> so, so the summer between when I was 12 and 13, uh, my parents said, we're moving. And so, so we moved out of the ghetto San Bernardino to a place called Rancho Cucamonga, which honestly, at the time I thought my adoptive folks, I thought they were just messing with me um, because like who names a town Rancho Cucamonga? And, and so the last two weeks before we moved, I protested. So, so my protest at 12, I protested by sitting on my bed, which by the way, my, my, my adoptive mom really, 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 really wanted girly girls as daughters. And she got, she, she got one, but it wasn't me. Um, I'm a, I'm a trans male. Um, and prior to that, I just identified as being gay. And my mom, she, she had some crazy idea, like, like the more pink and the more flowers that was in my shared room with my baby sister, like the more likely I might be a cheerleader in high school. Um, what, what she didn't know was by the time high school was here, uh, I just wanted to date the cheerleaders, but, um, but I couldn't cause well, uh, I grew up Mormon and, uh, and well, that's definitely not allowed. So I sat on my bed, you know, that, that pink comforter covered bed for two weeks. My, my best friend, Victoria next door, she used to come to the window and we would talk, but I refused to leave because I figured if I protested enough, we, we wouldn't have to move. And, uh, you know, childhood thinking, my brain is not completely developed yet. That happens at like 25. So some people it's later and some people never, but, but I was wrong. I was, I was so wrong. Like all my belongings around me were packed up, including myself and put in the 1985 Bronco, which by the way, that's the vehicle I learned to drive on. Um, but that's another story for another day. Cause when I went to test to get my license, um, the instructor slapped my dad's hand again. That's, that's a story for another day. So we move and we, we end up in Rancho Cucamonga, California. And, and a couple of weeks after moving there, I found out that Rancho Cucamonga is like a, a combination of three cities. You, you got Cucamonga, you got Altaloma, and you got Etiwanda. So being as I was a white, Amer white American, white Mexican, I thought, I was very glad we landed in Altaloma. And, and not because, you know, Altaloma translates into High Hill because we didn't really have any of those. I guess it used to be like all like wineries and stuff before we moved there. Um, but because on the return address, when I wrote all my friends <laughs> that I had left behind, um, Altaloma was a whole lot less letters and, and Altaloma sounded a, a whole lot less white. So now that I've actually located and met like both of my biological parents who are definitely not white, uh, my dad does have some Native American on his mother's side, explained to me it was Cherokee. Uh, my birth mom, who was also adopted, I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, seriously, I'm probably related to everybody. I might even be related to you. Like, this this really makes dating hard, right? Like, like hey, uh, yeah, I know, I know we just met, but uh, how far back have you tracked your genealogy? <laughs> 
because I just want to make sure I'm not dating my, like somebody who's a sister or a cousin or anyway. So dating, my goodness, dating, dating will definitely be a different podcast. It, it, it might actually be several. Um, so, so what do I do currently and, and, and why did I create a podcast? So believe it or not, um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in California. I have also been a professor uh, teaching courses on uh, cultural competency, treating trauma, religion and psychology, and group therapy. I've done several trainings, um, which I just love doing. I specialize with kids and teens, um, and I do work with, with all ages. Uh, my elders right now are kind of one of my favorites. Um, but not only am I practicing and teaching, but I also love learning how things work. Right, whether that's the gears in a watch or the gears on my bike, or or how our brains work, or how trauma affects our brains, or how childhood conditioning affects our present way of life, and how past relationship interactions play out in our current day relationship interactions, you know, things things in therapy land we like we like to call reenactments, right? So yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm divorced, but but I'm not like bitter divorced, like <laughs> divorce. Who divorce? What a transition. And the word transition has so many meanings. For, for me personally, my most recent transition has been from female to male. Now, I'm, I'm just starting out. I'm only three months on testosterone, so hopefully my voice will get deeper um, as podcasts go along. And, uh, but, but in general, you know, during most life transitions or shifts in gear, uh, people start to evaluate their lives, you know, their successes, their failures. Sometimes I hear all the, you know, shoulda, woulda, couldas, I shoulda done this, I coulda done that, I woulda done that if... So transitions can be a lot of things. It could be a rite of passage. It could be a, a coming of age experience, a marriage, a divorce, a pregnancy, a miscarriage, uh, moving from a stagnant couch potato life to working out at the gym, right? So, so often I've heard the phrase life transition, right? People say, oh, it closes one chapter of, of our life in the book of life and, and it opens a new chapter. And I, and I find myself thinking sometimes like, if only it were as easy as closing a book, or, or turn in a page. But in real life, you know, transitions, they can be messy. Um, sometimes they're really difficult to adjust to. Um, we'll often we'll experience some overwhelming feelings, especially focused on things um, like our fears, um, some level of uncertainty, and the, and the limbo we feel in the not knowing what's going to happen next or what my next step should be. Uh, what direction do I go? What action do I take? And so in therapy land, and as well as Webster's Dictionary, right, talks about four different types of life transitions. So those four types that we experience um, as humans, right, we have expected or unexpected transitions, welcomed or unwelcome transitions, chosen or imposed transitions, sudden or gradual transitions. So my next podcast, we're going to detail on these four types of transitions. So what I want to say is if you've listened to my podcast this far, <laughs> thank you and congratulations because you have survived your virgin launch of gear shifts, focusing on life transitions and whatever shape, form, method of madness they come in and how we can successfully navigate and maneuver through them. So a lot of life changes, a lot of learning. I have several, several different topics that I, I encounter um, quite a bit when I'm in session with clients. And I wanted to be able to create a platform where people upon, you know, the time that it takes to listen to my podcast, um, I want that to, to be recognized and acknowledged as important. And so I want to make sure that after every podcast, you, you get to leave with something, right? So if, if there's ever any, any questions or topics that you would like me to cover, please feel free. You can email me at colston.truth 
at gmail.com. That's C-O-L-S-T-Y-N dot T-R-U-T-H at gmail.com. So for those of you who have listened, thank you so much. This is Colston signing off. <laughs>